I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to Chinese Ish, an SBS podcast about young Chinese Australians for young Chinese Australians. My name is Wang. I'm a journalist and former Chinese international student. I'm recording from Gadigal Country. I'm Mark. I'm a fresh out of uni graduate and a young Chinese Australian. I'm recording from Wurundjeri Country. In each episode, we will explore a theme that reflects the daily life of a young Chinese person living in today's Australia. And today we're talking about sport and fitness, from casual participation to Chinese Australian representation in professional sport. Wing, I heard you signed up for a gym membership this year when you moved up to Sydney, yeah? Oh yes, and even I myself was so shocked when I actually did this. But I am indeed attending gym and PT sessions these days. It's so ironic because when I was still a student back in China, I literally just did nothing at PE class. My PE teacher was always ranting that I would just stand aside and watch all the others playing basketballs or runnings or doing all these sports activities. But now I'm literally paying money to get exercise. I feel like that's such a relatable experience because these days I dabble in sport and fitness stuff. So I guess a little bit before COVID, I started going to the gym. I went through a tennis phase after that, and then this year I started swimming. But Oh my god! Like I would always get flamed for not participating in PE class. I did not have a happy relationship with PE class in high school. I went to an all boys middle school, and there were people who were super into it and super competitive, and would always flame me or laugh at me for not being good. I have a story that I prepared earlier from one time we were playing softball, and when I was going up to bat, like all the kids in the fielding area like moved in to stand like right next to me because I knew I couldn't swing and hit it. And then I swung and missed, and it was just like a really embarrassing incident that I never let go of. Still, deep-seated high school trauma that I have about sports. I also have trauma with sports, and、um, especially PE class, because in China, from my junior high school to senior high school, we need to take some sort of exams, and PE is part of the subjects that we need to do it. But the exam itself is so weird. You need to like. Time yourself running eight hundred meters. Who will actually exactly run eight hundred meters? If you are not a sport person, who will do that? And I'm just so bad at that that I'm always running the last when I'm with my classmates, and that really discourages me from liking the class and sports as well. And also, when it comes to PE class, like we do lots of sports like volleyballs, football, basketball. Most of the time, you just run and run and run. In particular, you need to run a lot for, to prepare for that eight hundred meter exam, which I still have no idea why we need to do it. So, Mark, obviously, we are in a really different living condition and experience of sports. Whereas mine is quite like very Asian focused since I was studying in China. How do you feel about your environment? Do you feel that your experience of sports was quite related to race? A little bit. I think it sort of had more to do with you know stereotypes that weren't necessarily completely tied to race, but I think that in high school there's very much that kind of binary of you're either good at sport or good at homework, 
And even though not every single Asian kid that I went to high school with fell into the ladder, I was one of the many that did. And so I don't know, like, I think it's not necessarily about race, but it was kind of there and it probably cut both ways as well. PE class was really hard for me, but I was always really good at English and the same kids that flamed me in the PE class, you know, really struggled when they had to, you know, get up and do a speech, for example. So really interesting dynamics going on there. Even though I didn't go to school in Australia, I kind of relate to that because lots of kids in my class were so academic focused that we would even bring our homework to PE class. And when the teacher announced that, oh, you can have your own activities and then everyone just start doing homework rather than doing sports. Today, we have a Chinese-Australian Olympian joining us to chat about her experience of sports. Going 0 to 100 here in terms of sport or athletic skill level. Today, we're joined by badminton player Gronja Somerville, who's not only represented Australia at the last Olympics, but also holds eight Oceania Championship titles. Welcome, Gronja. Hi, thank you for having me. Really happy to be on your podcast. Thank you, Gronja, for joining us. So here's my first question. Who did you start playing badminton with? Was that your parents? So no, it wasn't actually my parents that got me into badminton. It was really by chance that there was a national talent identification program running in Victoria and they were specifically looking for young girls 10 to 13 years old. And I was in that age bracket back then. So I was in my last year of primary school and my PE teacher gave me this flyer that it was trying to find young sporty girls to be the next badminton Olympian and sports star. Uh, so I just got given that flyer and I went to this fitness testing day and did the all the different tests and the trials and I got into the squad and then had a hit at the end of the day and just thought it was the coolest game ever and fell in love with it and yeah, the rest is history I guess. <laughs> That's really cool. I just feel so amateur. I was taught by my parents. I remember the day that, that my mom gave me the racket and then said, taught me like this specific way of like how to hit a ball. And I just failed catching it. Apart from this professional training, do you play badminton with your parents as well? Um, no. So never really played with my parents or family that much. Since I started playing more seriously, I have a hit with them every now and then. But Growing up, we had a table tennis table at home that we would just muck around on as well. And when I was little, I did a bunch of other sports. My dad played it when he was younger, but wasn't really a, a family sport that we did together or that kind of thing. That's an interesting experience because I feel like for a lot of Chinese Australians, I feel like sport is a kind of cultural thing that you absorb from your family. Like it was one of the only sports I did as a kid as well. My parents actually sent me to classes, so they were pretty committed. And I think I was like, okay at it. But yeah, just maybe... The sports that you play growing up are, you know, something somewhat of a cultural thing. Yeah, for sure. In Australia for badminton, there's still a huge Asian dominance. So a lot of Chinese, Australians or Indonesian, Malaysian players here. So I think that's definitely through their the parents and their that they grew up playing it and then they want their kids to play it and that tradition. And that's kind of why it hasn't become as mainstream in Australian culture in a way because the parents haven't played it. So their kids have gone into tennis or swimming or some other sport. You must have shown a really strong interest in sports before you enroll in the program. 
how sporty were you? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, yeah, I was pretty ridiculously sporty. I had nearly a different sport each day after school. I did tennis, little athletics, gymnastics, circus, basketball, and whichever one kind of I was passionate about at the time, I always wanted to be the best in. So I would want to go to the Olympics in hurdling or I would want to be in Cirque du Soleil doing flying trapeze or something. So I was just very competitive and athletic and yeah, I was always just running around at lunchtime and playing with the boys and beating all the boys <laughs> when I was little. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you were a pretty athletic kid. How much of badminton is raw talent for the sport specifically versus just general athleticism that you can channel into any sport of your choice and it happened to be badminton for you? Yeah, I, there's kind of a scientific theory of if the best athletes in the world in their sports are just all-rounders and they happen to just go into that sport and that they could have been good at any sport. I kind of believe that in a way because I th- obviously you need the general athleticism, but I think a huge part of being a really good athlete is your coachability, like how quickly you learn and then how good you are at developing going forward and combined with that athleticism. So I think for me... I'm actually not that talented in badminton. Like there's technique talent or tactical talent in badminton. I don't really have those, but I have athleticism and I'm coachable. Like I can learn things quickly. So yeah, that's my strengths in a way. (laughs) No need to be humble. You're an Olympian. Like (laughs) more than any of us have got going for us. Yes, exactly. Before badminton, what was your favorite sport? Right before I was most serious at, uh, yeah, circus skills kind of. So doing a bit of everything in circus, like tumbling and acrobatics and partner, partner holding and trapeze, that kind of thing. What made you sort of go like badminton is the one that you're going to pursue? Um, I think it like they kind of eased us into it. So we were training a little bit and then as they kind of cut the squad down and we started to improve, we need to have an extra session. And I, as it got more serious, I think it just like seemed like there was a pathway to being really good there that was established. I also had really good support. And from the first time that I played badminton, because I was good at tennis before, but I didn't really have the passion for it or enjoy it. And from the first time I started playing badminton, I just enjoyed it so much and thought it was so fun. So I think that kind of sealed the deal there that I had kind of the hand-eye coordination from tennis and athleticism. And then I just really loved it and could see myself doing it long term. Just have a question about like the sort of progression from being a generally sporty kid to kind of picking up badminton to kind of going pro with it. Because it sounds like, you know, based on your childhood, sport was always just this kind of constant fixture of a thing that you did that you enjoyed. I guess, was there ever a point where it sort of like, where it very clearly kind of separated into like, this is sport that I do professionally versus, you know, these are my hobbies or this is my education? I guess it was kind of small changes that progressively resulted in a big difference so one of the first changes was when I changed my high school to move to a sports school in year nine Um, so I changed to a sports school in the west of Melbourne and that had two really good badminton coaches there who you know supported me and helped me improve a lot so that was one of the first decisions that I made towards supporting my badminton career and then I did my first year of uni full-time and I thought I wanted to take my badminton more seriously after that. So then I dropped to part-time in the following year. So just kind of those things that gradually added up that meant I was committing more to my badminton. And talk about more recently. What is it like 
to be a professional player while you're also a uni student? So I got a little bit famous in China and Asia through badminton, but it's kind of been nice that that's separate from Australia. So sometimes when I go to Asia, it can be a little bit crazy, but then I can come home and just focus on my studies and my badminton and just live, you know, a totally normal life. So it's just a fine balance of prioritizing what I had to do with my training and then, you know, study and all that. You traveled to Japan last year for the Olympics. What was it like to travel overseas during the pandemic? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Especially the Olympic travel was very different because it was a chartered flight. So it was purely for the Olympics. So we left from Brisbane actually, and then we stopped over in Cairns and picked up a bunch of the swimming team. And we got off the flight to like take photos on the runway with the whole team and they got gave us Qantas pajamas and then we went back to back on the plane and flew to Tokyo. Um, but yeah, it was a very different experience traveling throughout the pandemic, very empty planes a lot of the time. Um, and then the Olympics itself, we couldn't actually go out and see any of Japan. We were just purely in the village or on the bus or at the venue. So it definitely wasn't the authentic kind of Olympic experience that a lot of people had experienced before or were expecting, but we were just happy that it went ahead in the end. Do you usually travel alone when you go for like games, matches, like overseas? So because in Australia, we're quite limited in the funding for badminton. A lot of the time it is just like me and my doubles partner or maybe two or three others that are playing the same tournament because we can't always afford the coach to come or, you know, we hardly ever travel with a physio or that kind of team. But for example, I'm going to Bangkok tomorrow for the Thomas and Uber Cup, which is like the world teams tournament in uh, women's and men's teams. And so we're going the whole uh, Uber Cup team, all the girls, so about nine girls. And then we have two coaches and a physio for this one. So yeah, depends on the event. Do you want to pick up on the point that you mentioned though of funding for badminton is perhaps a bit more limited in Australia? Because growing up, I've always felt like, you know, there's such a sort of cultural hierarchy of sport, right? Like Australia is a sport-loving country, but there's a couple of specific sports that we love a lot, you know, AFL swimming, cricket, that kind of thing. Are there challenges that come with playing a sort of less culturally Australian sport? Yeah, I think the a lot of the issues are kind of around the funding, the resources, the awareness, I guess, within the Australian community. Like I always find that a lot of the Australians perception of badminton is still that it's a slow kind of backyard game that you just play with your like grandparents or something like that because they haven't been exposed to this super high intensity sport and they haven't seen it at the highest level so it'd be it'd be nice if they were aware of like what what a cool sport it was and I think it's getting a bit better with more schools having it as a kind of mandatory sport to to give everyone a go but uh, yeah I, th- I, th- I don't hear much more than people just have done it like once at school and they liked it but they never really did it again after that. I feel so much when you said that oh some people still perceive badminton as like a slow sport because when I was in my high school we sort of have an English teacher who was originally from the UK and then he came to our school like during his trip to China and he decided to stay there for a year and then he said the biggest achievement throughout the year was that his badminton skill was increasingly improved because he just kept playing with the students and the students were just so fast when they waved the rackets where he was like oh wait 
is badminton actually that intensive sport? I've never felt it until I moved to China. Yeah, so that was like the funniest thing I've ever heard when I was like in high school. So when you said that, oh, some people still have this stereotype, I even thought of this. But how intense badminton could be? Oh, it's it's super intense. Uh, the, there's always this meme of how like comparing tennis to badminton and badminton, like the statistics show it as being like way more intense and like longer and they're working so much more of the time compared to tennis but I don't know how accurate that is um but yeah it's it's really tough I had a tournament yesterday the Oceania championships and today I'm like the whole right side of my body is sore and (laughs) I was like hobbling out of bed and yeah there's a lot of injuries just because of how hard people train and how much you're jumping and just swinging so hard yeah (laughs) Imagine playing a sport where the ball can actually bounce before you hit it. The luxury, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It is the fastest racket sport in the world. I think the fastest smash is 493 kilometres an hour. I guess I wanted to come back to that point, though, about, you know, maybe Australians sort of culturally don't, you know, see badminton as this sort of intense, fast-paced, exciting sport. And for that reason, it's maybe a little bit smaller in Australia? Yeah. So so compared to some of the bigger countries like China that have a lot of funding and big teams, I guess they're very controlled and the the management and the coaches and all that have a big say in what the players do and pretty much a monopoly on how they kind of live their lives. Whereas in Australia, because it's such a small sport, we have the freedom to, you know, choose which tournaments we want to play and kind of how we want to train or it's very you know interactive and we have a big say in all that whereas in some of the bigger countries they just get told what to do and they get told which tournaments they're allowed to play and not allowed to play and that kind of thing. Australia compared to the UK for example is so close to Asia and we have always centered ourselves in this Asia Pacific and we were kind of saying that badminton was quite popular in Asia. Do you think that the fact that Australia is such a close neighbour to Asia, have contributed to the development of badminton in Australia as well? Yeah, so I think because we have so many Asian immigrants in Australia that the they've obviously continued their kind of culture that they have um, from wherever they've came from. Uh, so that's why there is such a huge Asian community in badminton and how you know a, a lot of our national team players are Asian and have been previously, so... Yeah, it's definitely brought through a lot of good players and some have even been uh, like played for another country. Like my old doubles partner, she's Indonesian, but she moved to Australia when she was like 21 or and changed her citizenship as well. So that's an, a, another way that we've had good players. Weighing up all of those points, like how would you sort of evaluate overall like the environment for young people who might want to pick up badminton in Australia? Yeah, I think it's definitely still a bit of a a hard pathway to follow in terms of making a career out of it. I'm probably one of the few that have actually made it kind of professionally in badminton in Australia. But I think with any elite sport, if you're passionate about it and you have the desire to be the best, then you should just give it everything you have so that you don't have any regrets. And then when you feel like it's right and it's time to move on to another career path and to do that. But while you're young and you're fit and healthy, then I think people should make the most of it and you get so many awesome life experiences out of elite sport. Yeah. Do you watch badminton games as well? Since I play it so much, I don't actually enjoy watching it heaps for fun. You know, if there's big tournaments, then I usually follow along 
some of the live matches just out of interest or we do analysis of our opponent who we're going to play next and we'll watch some of their matches. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you a few questions about families. So what were your family's reaction when you say, when you feel that you want to pick badminton as a career? Well, my mom was super supportive. So my, my dad was Chinese and he passed away when I was younger, but my mom was uh, my Australian half side of me and she's always been super supportive of just whatever I wanted to do. So when I got into this national talent identification program, she was yeah very encouraging and she's also very competitive. So she was kind of like, like if I won, she won, you know, that kind of thing. And she'd drive me everywhere, wake up at 5am to drive me to training. So yeah, she was very supportive and proud of my achievements in badminton. You were really well known in Chinese media for the fact that you are like the fifth generation of Kang Youwei. So for those who don't know who's Kang Youwei, let me just describe how important and how famous this person is. When I was in high school, this person would appear in every history exam that I would sit in. There's literally a multiple choice about this person. He was like one of the pioneer of the Chinese version of enlightenment, calling for reform, calling for the Chinese emperor in the 19th century to adopt the UK kingship system. He's also one of the early pioneers who brought the Western science into China. And he's also a Cantonese, which I'm very proud of. And I actually live in where his hometown was when I was back in China. So when I heard about that, you are the fifth generation of Kang Youwei, I was very surprised and I was very happy. But how did you feel about this? So when I was little, I didn't really understand it. And my mom would just, like she told us that we were the descendant of Kang Youwei. And when we went to Chinese restaurants, she would always tell the Chinese owner that we were related to him and we'd get like free prawn crackers or some, something from the restaurant. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is awesome. This is really cool. Um, but it wasn't until I was at a tournament in Wuhan in China in 2012 that my coach mentioned it to the media through this little interview that he got asked by the media. And then just the next day it really blew up and the media were a lot of people were trying to interview me and sending me flowers. And yeah, I wasn't aware of what a big deal it was in China until then. And then I was trying to, you know, learn more about him myself to answer these interviews. And yeah, it was, it was a interesting experience. But since then, I've been like, once, once I learned more about him and what he did and our family tree and that kind of thing, it's made me really want to connect more with my Chinese culture and uh, I studied Chinese for four years online over the past few years and um, have connected with more of my Chinese relatives as well because of it. It's really great to hear how that's sort of been an impetus for you to um, get more in touch with your Chinese side of your family. Yeah, I was just reflecting, I had no idea who Kang Yaowei was until this episode, but maybe this will be an impetus for me to go and learn a bit more as well. Are there sort of any particular family members that you've connected with that you still talk to today, like regularly? Yeah, so I have two uh, cousins, one in Guangzhou and one in Hong Kong, who are brothers that I'm still quite close with. So if I go to China, I'll always try and catch up with both of them. And they've through them, they're very connected with the rest of our family. So they've introduced us to other relatives in Beijing and ones in Sydney and Australia and others in Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, it's a big family tree because Kang Yue had eight wives and they had a lot of children each. So my grandma is one of, I think, 11 children. <laughs> so it's 
They're everywhere, the, the family tree. <laughs> Makes it easier to travel. Yeah, know someone wherever you go. <laughs> Both Mark and I were mentioned that we play badminton with friends as like casual activities. So my question is, when you hang out with your non-sport friends, do you play badminton with them? Yeah, so sometimes my friends will want to have a hit of badminton and usually I'll try and, you know, book a court for them after my training. So I'll have a little bit of a hit with them as well and, you know, teach them how to hold it, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I enjoy when... um my friends want to try it and get involved as well. Would you let them win? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> True to your earlier description of yourself as competitive, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the final question that I had was just sort of around like, I, I still feel like there's a, you know, there's still a disconnect, obviously, in contemporary sort of Australian and Chinese culture. And I think sport is an area where we really kind of see that gap. And I guess I wondered if you think it's sort of possible or if it's, you know, desirable even to kind of bridge that gap. For example, if badminton was more mainstream here or something like that. Yeah, I think sport is like a beautiful kind of playing ground for cultures to come together and just unite through this like one game where it doesn't, you know, everything else doesn't matter. It's just playing this one game and showing showing how, you know, athletic you are or your tactics or whatever and eat, both opponents can appreciate that as purely in the game. So I think, you know, we've been part of a, a kind of little political thing between Australia and Indonesia before where we played an exhibition match against some Indonesian players and, you know, it's kind of a way to just find common ground in a lot of different situations and I think badminton is a great way for that through the... Yeah, bringing together the Australian culture and the Asian culture that's uh, yeah, kind of a divided within sport at the moment. Thank you for listening to Chinese-ish, an SVS podcast about young Chinese Australians for young Chinese Australians. This episode is hosted by Wing Kuang and Mark Yin. Our sound designer is Max Gosford. And thanks also to Rachel Sibley, Carolyn Gates and Tanya Lee for their support. Follow us or click subscribe to Chinese-ish or find out more on sbs.com.au slash Chinese-ish. That's Chinese hyphen-ish. We look forward to having you there.